Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about hormones. So we've already talked about estrogen in a previous episode, and we've also talked about estrogen's relationship to endometriosis in a previous episode. Just to recap, they're in a toxic relationship. Not cute. Today we want to talk about what hormones are and what they do. Sneak peek. They make us miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you have to tell the truth so early in the episode? (laughs) I don't know. It's the brain fog. (laughs) feel so confused and honest. (laughs) (laughs) So throughout this hormone series, as we talk about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and other hormones in the body, we do want to point out that this information is typically applicable for people who are assigned female at birth. We recognize that not everyone who is assigned female at birth identifies as a woman and that this information can be true of people who hold many different gender identities. Throughout these episodes, we are going to use the word people. We just want to be clear that we're using the word people to be inclusive of all people of all gender identities, but we are indeed referring to the bodies of people assigned female at birth. Amy, they're going to think that we're obsessed with hormones with all these episodes that we're going to give to them. Are we obsessed with hormones? Um, yeah, duh, Brittany. It's kind of like hormones affect every single aspect of our body. You know? You know how they do that? Yeah, and it's kind of like with hormones, you don't realize everything's messed up until everything's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't realize how important hormones are and the role that they play to your entire body until the hormones are all messed up and then you realize your whole body is all messed yeah. up and then you're all just like, ah! I'm there right now, so relatable. I'm very excited about all these episodes. (laughs) Well, then why'd you ask me if we're obsessed? Of course we're obsessed. Because I just don't want people to think that we're too obsessed. We're obsessed and excited. Can you be too obsessed with hormones? No, I'm deciding not. I don't think so. (laughs) Since I lost my ovary two years ago to a grapefruit-sized endometrioma. Bye. Bye, left ovary. Bye. See you never. So I have been having problems with my hormones, and I am on hormone replacement therapy, and I've also been learning all about my hormones. Really, for these past two years, I have been in my own version of a hormone jungled. And let me tell you, Brittany, in this jungled, it is dark, and I'm hungry, and jaguars are chasing me, and I drop my machete so I can't run through the dense underbrush to get away from them, and it's so hot that even my eyelids are sweating. Okay. And then I come up to the river to take a drink because I'm so sweaty and don't want to get dehydrated, and then I go to drink from the river, and then a piranha bites my lips off. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Your hormone jungle sounds intense. <laughs> so that is where I'm at right now in the hormone jungle, and I have to fix that. <laughs> so oh yes, God. I am obsessed with my hormones. Okay. Oh, no. The jaguars are chasing me. I have no lips. Piranhas. (laughs) (laughs) 
I feel like my hormone jungle is more like a hormone desert where like nothing's there and we don't know why. <laughs> That's how I feel. A dust ball rolls by. Yeah, like what is that tumbleweed? What's it made of? We don't know. <laughs> I do want to say once I was driving in Denver really early in the morning and it was really windy and a whole bunch of tumbleweeds started crossing the highway. <laughs> And I, and I was like, oh, my God, I thought that only happened in movies. <laughs> but, yeah, and it was dangerous. And some of them were really big. I mean, like, three feet or four feet wow. wide and long. And I was like, and everybody was just driving normal. I was like, how are you all driving? There's a bunch of tumbleweeds. I'm Denver's so wild. It snows one day, tumbleweeds the next day. <laughs> so that's Brittany's hormone, yeah. her own version of the hormone jungle. Yes. It's the snow in one day. There's tumbleweeds the next yep. day. Then the sun comes out and the the ground gets parched and it has no idea what it's doing. <laughs> That's my hormone the weather jungle. is very confused. Yes, it doesn't even rain. Rain. It sometimes rains other things, and it nobody rains, knows why. It rains acid rain. Yes, acid or blood or you know blood Kool Aid. I don't know. Just random things. <laughs> so, like I said, I've been having hormone problems since I lost my ovary, and I just want to say that I was not expecting that at all because when I consulted with the doctor, he said that I would be perfectly fine with one ovary and that it would pick up the slack and it would do the work of two ovaries. So I have a question for you, though. Mm -hmm. Did your doctor ever, you know, have a consult with Miss Righty and say, so when Mr. Lefty ovary is going to be exited from his position, are you willing? (laughs) Exited from from his position. It's like it's like a colloquial way of. It's a nice way to say fired. Let go, laid oh, off. Geez. Okay, yeah. When when so, he is removed forcibly from his position, <laughs> security. We need to get the left ovary just hanging on. And Mr. Lefty need to go. So did your he's doctor been stealing too many office supplies? Oh, no. He's hoarded paper clips. He's massive now, and he needs. To you leave. remove left ovary, just a bunch of paper clips fall out. The doctor like, There were a lot of office supplies inside of your ovary. That's weird. I don't know what that could possibly. Well, that's be why fun. he was exited. <laughs> So I'm just wondering, though, if your doctor ever actually asked Miss Righty if she was willing to pick up a double shift for no additional pay. Well, now that you say that, no, she wasn't consulted. And this might be why she's not doing the work she's supposed to do because she was like, she shouldn't have to. Uh uh. Nope. You didn't double my salary. So why are you going to double my work? Mm, Don't think so. Way to go, Miss Righty, in this capitalist society we live in. Don't take it without the pay. Yeah, Miss Righty. But also like, oh, no. (laughs) She doesn't do the work. You're screwed. (laughs) I feel like she joined a union that my intestines and my bladder are a part of. They heard her complaining. They were like, oh, my gosh, you got more work and you didn't get a pay raise. Over here. Same. (laughs) Listen, listen. Let me let you in on a little secret. You don't have to do the work if you don't want to. Just half work, like we do. Been doing it for ages. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, oh my God, really? I can do that? And they're like, yeah, yeah. So some days you do what you're supposed to do. And then other days, you don't. She's like, oh my God, that's a genius plan. You two are really (laughs) onto something. My God, I think I will work like that. Where do we get the budget to pay Miss Righty her proper wage to get her working again? It's called oral progesterone. That's the- <laughs> There's the budget. <laughs> I feel like so, yeah, Miss Righty, 
she really only works from nine to five. And then at five, she clocks out. Like she is <laughs> out of there. It's like, beep, I'm out. Bye. My work's done for the day. Good for her, but also <laughs> bad for you. <laughs> this could explain why in the evening, like in the evening, I have a lot of my symptoms. So in the evening, I have the hot flashes and the night sweats. And that makes sense because in the evening, Miss Righty doesn't work. She clocks out at 5 p.m. In the evening, she's kicking back. She's binge watching some <laughs> Netflix. She's hanging out with her family, her dog, five There's cats. a dog in there? <laughs> I did, Brittany, for you. Aww, and then I said five cats. You have cats. five cats inside your abdomen and a dog. It's probably why it hurts so much in oh, there. All right, all right. That's <laughs> it's fair. always scratching me. That tracks. <laughs> so what about those day symptoms like that brain fog you get at noon? It's her lunch break. Duh, Brittany. Obviously. <laughs> oh, oh, duh, my be. <laughs> Those moments of nausea is like when she goes outside in the back alley to take a smoke break. You know? <laughs> she takes a little walk around the office at 10 a.m. That's why you have a little bit of dizziness. <laughs> Diarrhea comes around 2. She's like, oh, I took my lunch break. I'm having an afternoon slump. I'm going to work a little less hard. <laughs> this makes a lot of sense now that you say it. <laughs> in actuality, many people do indeed get the hormones that they need from just one ovary if they have an ovary removed. So there are people who are just fine with their hormone output with one ovary. But then there are other people who don't have a hormone output that they need with one ovary. I really wish the doctors would be less all-knowing when they tell us things. Like, I just wish they wouldn't say things with such certainty. It'd be better to have said, well, most people with only one ovary don't see any differences in the way they feel. Most people, huh? Most people. I heard you say most people. Most people. <laughs> well, you know what the truth is? We're not most people. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the red flag. The doctor's like, well, most people are just fine with ovary. Like, like a, oh. If it was a cartoon, like a red light would have started, <laughs> you know, like those ambulance lights appeared above his head and started flashing and ringing. Like, like, he said most beer. people. He said most people. Most people. Most people. Like red flag. <laughs> We're not most people. <laughs> okay. Interpret. Most people are fine. You're going to be screwed. <laughs> That's definitely, yeah. And I still would have had the surgery to remove my ovary because it was necessary, but... You would have been more prepared. I would have had... Expectations. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when I ended up in the hormone jungle with the jaguar chasing me, <laughs> I would have at least maybe had, I don't know, took Supplies. some... Supplies. Yeah. <laughs> took some lessons in jaguar running. I don't know. <laughs> some foraging lessons. Some where to avoid piranhas lessons. What mushrooms are poisonous and what can be eaten? <laughs> Do not lick the shiny frogs. <laughs> I would have known more when I got to the jungle. I would have been so lost and confused <sighs> and sweaty probably. So it would have been really sweaty. Yeah, I don't think you could help that. <laughs> so there's a lot of phrases that doctors have with the most people that don't really apply to us people with endometriosis. Like most people can hold their pee when their bladder fills. <laughs> <laughs> Who can? Not us. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, give me more. This is really fun. You're going to love this one. Most people don't have painful bowel movements. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, Who, right? Who are these people? This, this one's specifically for you. Most people can eat whatever they want without any intolerances. Those are the worst most people. <laughs> Here's one that we could all relate to. You ready? I'm scared. Most people don't have painful periods. Speechless. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that was said to me the last time I went to the OBGYN. 
Most people. Well, most people's periods aren't this painful. Yes, so then mine is. Tell me what to yeah, do. Yeah, so then you understand I'm in the statistic that is not the, the other most part. <laughs> when you say most, then there's a people that's not included because otherwise you'd say all oh, people. Oh, yeah. Right? So the other, the least. <laughs> I'm the least. Please tell me what to do with the least. All right, here's your penultimate one, that most people do fine hormonally with just one ovary. I'm sure they do, but I'm not most people. I would have known. <sighs> Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Well, I still would have had the surgery to remove the ovary and to get rid of that big, big blood-filled balloon called an endometrioma. Tasty. <laughs> Can you imagine having a water fight with your endometrioma? <laughs> oh, gosh, a water balloon fight and it throws a blood balloon at you? Really? Is that what the image just came to you your just mind? Like throw your, you just get your endometrioma out and then you just like throw it at your worst enemy. <laughs> oh, you throw it at all the most people who don't have painful periods. Oh, <laughs> You gather yeah. a crowd of most people. And you throw endometriomas at Everyone them. who doesn't have painful periods stand on the left side <laughs> of the room. And they're all like, oh, okay, are we getting a prize? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, you are. are. (laughs) You throw your endometrioma. Everybody who's the least, grab your endometrioma. (laughs) Blood splatters all over Oh, gosh. This is is gruesome. This is kind of violent. That's the mood the hormone jungle will put you in. It is a rough and aggressive, and it's survival of the fittest. And that's the mood and the mode that I'm in right now. (laughs) Really, we're just a little jealous that there are people who have periods that aren't painful, and you were very blessed. You were very lucky. I hope you wake up every single day and you write in your gratitude diary. Today I'm grateful that my period is painful. Today I'm grateful that I have both ovaries. Today I'm grateful that I don't bleed through a tampon in 20 minutes. Today I'm grateful that I don't scream and cry when I poop. There's so many. We could go on for hours. Oh, God. Now let's jump into our hormones, progesterone, testosterone. So... We did a lot of research to put together the information for this episode, so we are going to go ahead and list that in our fancy resources tab on our website, just in 16years.com. And as you know, in the resources tab, you can see the resources for this episode, for all of our past episodes, and then more resources for things like endometriosis, meditation, gut health, and chronic pain. And diving into hormones is definitely a new pool of water for us. We're just learning and educating. New territory. New body of water without piranhas. Maybe some piranhas, actually. We don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) So as we always recommend, do your own research. Fact check us. If we get something wrong, tell us because you all know we strive so hard to get accurate information. So new territory, new exploration. Explore with us. I think these episodes are really interesting because even if you're not in a hormone jungle or hormone desert or some other tundra, savanna. It's just fun to listen to us. (laughs) Is that where you were going with that? No. I mean, yes, but. (laughs) Rain in the humility, Amy. Rain it in. Well, it is fun to listen to us, but also it's fun to listen about hormone information because all of these hormones do something different in our bodies and they cause effects that are profound or domino in other parts of our bodies. And it's interesting to know and see these markers and know why certain things might be going on for us. So I think even if you're hormonally in an okay place. You might not be in the future. (laughs) Or you might also be in the future, but. (laughs) Okay, Amy, stop threatening the listener. (laughs) Poor listeners. Like, oh my God, I want to go to the jungle. Well, the inevitable could happen. (laughs) Or it could just be that now you know why you get brain fog or now you know why your legs hurt or now you know why 
your estrogen spiking causes this or it's just really helpful to know why our bodies are doing certain things and hormones are and such an integral piece of that. And so validating mm-hmm. when you're like, oh, this is happening because this is happening. So it's real. It's real. So jungle or not, this is some really stellar information. And before we jump in, just remember that if you love our show, you can share our show on social media. You can rate our show on our podcast app. You can bake it. You can drink it. You can shop it. You can what? cover yourself with it like a blanket. Wait, know. what are we talking about now? I don't know. I'm so confused. <laughs> Righty is out on a smoke break right now, and the brain fog suddenly kicked in. I could tell. <laughs> I don't, it was like we were doing a bop it here. Bop it. Twist it. Pull it. <laughs> No, but if you like our show, please, we'd love if you could share it on social media. Tell others about our show. And this helps other people find the podcast, find information that perhaps they've been looking for, lets them hear all of our funny jokes. <laughs> okay, the information's the goal. The jokes are just a bonus. <laughs> really, for me, it's the opposite. But I know. <laughs> That's why we are balanced. Okay, I have a starting question for you, Amy. Why is it that when we think about hormones, we only think about really negative things? Like, what comes to your mind when you think about hormones? PMS, menopause, hot flashes, mood swings, bleeding, the dreaded bleeding. Those are all terrible. Migraines. Oh, even worse. Endometriosis. This is miserable. (laughs) Mood swings. I already said mood swings. Swinging mood. Mood swings. Hot (laughs) flashes. Brain fog. Did I already say mood swings? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Brain fog. <laughs> Why is it that it's all negative, horrible things? Are those the only things that hormones do for us? In actuality, no. Hormones do really amazing, incredible things, but they tend to all be in the background. You know, not at the forefront. We don't see them doing what they're doing. They're, they're all invisible I feel like most of us only really become aware of our hormones when they start to make our lives miserable. Okay, well, if they're so great, then tell me some of the great things they supposedly do. Okay, Brittany, well, you know that hormones regulate appetite. I don't have one of those. (laughs) Okay, well, hormones (laughs) regulate temperature. I'm hot, then I'm cold, then I'm hot, then I'm cold. I'm the Katy Perry song, I'm hot, then I'm cold. Okay, so hormones influence reproduction. Well, that's all whack for me. (laughs) Hormones influence sleep. Oh, yeah. I don't have any concept of what that is. <laughs> Hormones influence your bone health. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I haven't had a need to almost break something, so I hope that's okay. Your heart health. I'm still alive, so I hope that's okay, too. <laughs> I have been having palpitations recently. I have also been having my heart skip a beat. That arrhythmia is real fun. <laughs> your brain health. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> the fog is thick. <laughs> the collagen in your skin, and I'll just go ahead and say right there, your skin is looking bad, Brittany. I'm so okay. dry. Your skin is looking, you need to moisturize that I'm thing. I'm so dry. <laughs> I, I put lotion on every morning, and it's just like paper, dry paper. Also, my skin looks terrible up close. Also, I got those hormonal There's chin like, pimples. Ooh, <laughs> There's like no elasticity acne. in my skin anymore. I'm like, okay. So you said they were supposed to do all these things, but so far I'm like not doing so hot. <laughs> Well, now you know that possibly one of the reasons why you're not doing so hot, or maybe you are doing really doing hot. Doing really hot, then really the cold. Heat flashes <laughs> yeah. Is because your hormones are not doing what they're supposed to do. 
This makes a lot of sense. God, if they were just doing what they were supposed to be doing, we could I'd feel amazing. We could feel so good. Oh, oh my God. I could rule the world. Whoa, that was, whew, that was real far. <laughs> rule my own world. It can be really helpful to go online. They have all kinds of lists that are very complete of the different ways that if you had, for example, a hormone excess or a hormone insufficiency and how that can make you feel. And there's also a lot of websites that have quizzes. So, you know, it asks you questions about your mood and your sleep and your bowel movements and this and that. And then at the end, you add up your numbers and it's like, you most likely have a progesterone deficiency or a excess of estrogen. So we're not going to name every single symptom that you could have if your hormones are all screwed up because literally we could be here for the rest of our lives naming all kinds of things. And I think Brittany just made it really clear that hers are really messed up and mine are really <laughs> messed up. So if you want to understand if your hormones are messed up, how messed up, and what is messed up, of course, see your doctor and get testing done. And something else you can do in conjunction with that is take a look at some of these different lists of hormones and their symptoms online so that you can have a better understanding about what might be going on. So many of us may have too much estrogen, and these symptoms may be familiar to a lot of us. Things like heavy periods, painful periods, breast tissue tenderness, fatigue, weight gain. These are all really common among people with too much estrogen and really common in a lot of us with endometriosis. And again, this is not the complete list. We just not exhaustive. We just picked out like four or five of these long lists of. If you want to see the long list, do a Google. <laughs> Consult Google. <laughs> I'm going to talk about too little progesterone because I have too little progesterone right now, and it is resulting in my insomnia, anxiety, being very weepy, having a really short cycle. Thank you, Red Dragon, who is coming every 21 days. That's rude. I don't want to see you every three weeks. Every four was just fine for me. Maybe even three and a half. Three weeks. Really? A little much, you know? And infertility. Oh, thank you. I have all of those symptoms. So at the beginning, when I started having insomnia and hot flashes, I thought that I had low estrogen. But it turns out in my case, insomnia and hot flashes were a result of having low progesterone. Today is just going to be a quick overview of hormones. We're really just dipping our toes into the piranha-filled river. So we're not going to go into depth on hormone problems and sleep. But in part four, we're going to dive deeper into the river of insomnia. But I will say that now that I'm taking progesterone, my sleep has improved drastically. It's a miracle. Ah, it's so wonderful to sleep through the night and not wake up really, really, really so ridiculously hot at three in the morning. And then you're so hot and then you are so wide awake. Although I did find that getting out of the bed and walking around butt naked for the apartment for a couple of <laughs> to minutes, cool off. it really does like cool you down. And then I would get back in bed. I'd be like, I am so cold. <laughs> Putting on the winter blankets in summer. Body, what is wrong with you? Oh 90 God. to 10. 90 to 10. Also, 90 can to 10. you just do that during the daytime? Do you have to do it at nighttime when I'm trying to get the beauty Only sleep? nighttime. Only the nighttime. Only nighttime. God. Oh, and this is really interesting, but a lot of us get constipated before our periods. And I learned that progesterone can slow your motility in your gut. 
And as a result, it can make you constipated. Wow. Yeah, because so many of us get constipated. Our hormones do so much. Oh my Too much. Gosh. <laughs> they need to really relax, honestly. <laughs> the hormones need to chill out. Now, something that's happening in my tumbleweed hormone wasteland is those tumbleweeds tend to be too much testosterone. And some of the symptoms of having too much testosterone can be acne, facial hair, that's a fun one, PCOS symptoms, thinning hair, being more angry or irritable. Ooh, you have been kind of angry recently. <laughs> and there is extra hair on your chin. And it's so you rude. are kind of pimply. So. It's so rude. Those hormonal pimples and the hair but what, and everything God, annoys me. Uh, it's just so hard. It's like, okay, if I had to choose what I'd rather sleep through the night and not cry over everything or would I rather be pimply and angry I mean I'd rather be none but like if I had to choose Brittany's hormone hell or my hormone hell I mean the good news is I'm both so (laughs) (laughs) I both weep at everything have hot flashes can't sleep and also have zits and hair on my chin and I'm angry all the time so like I mean just you can have both (laughs) that'd be fun too Conversely, I have too little testosterone, and I know that because I saw that in my hormone results, and symptoms of low T can include things like no libido, being depressed, having brain fog, and losing muscle mass. Okay, I just want to say that I'm really confused because when I read these, I'm like, I have some of all of those, and some of these contradict, like I have half of the too much tea and half of the not enough tea. What does that mean? (laughs) I'm so confused. Can I have everything? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we should remove your ovaries and replace them with little hormone-dripping robots. God, could I get one of them in place of Lefty, who is now gone? R.I.P. Is it like a pacemaker for hormones? (laughs) I guess it's like the hormone pellet. That'd be great. (laughs) I feel like I misnamed my hormone jungle. It's not a hormone wasteland or a desert. It's more like a hormone ocean. There's like really creepy, weird animals all the way at the bottom, and nobody's ever seen those fish before, but like the giant squid's definitely there. And there's just weird (laughs) things like plastic floating in me. Nobody knows why it's there. They contradict each other. There's water, but it's salty, but also there's like fish here. I feel like that's. And there's a lot of storms and tsunamis and floods. Yeah, that's that feels more (laughs) accurate. So I want to say another thing about the low testosterone, which is that a lot of practitioners and even well-known menopause experts ignore the important role that testosterone plays in the bodies of people born with ovaries. And this is a huge disservice to us because having low testosterone during perimenopause or after surgical menopause can literally tank your quality of life. And many practitioners, they only think about low testosterone in relation to low libido. But a person can have panic attacks, poor sleep, low mood, body pain, brain fog, and so many other symptoms. And yet their doctor doesn't even test their testosterone or consider it for a part of their hormone replacement therapy. Testosterone is often talked about as the quote-unquote male hormone, when in reality people of all sexes have testosterone because it plays a really important role in all of our bodies. And I just want to mention that taking testosterone within the normal range for people assigned female at birth is not going to cause a person to grow a beard or to transition. These HRT doses are to replace what you've lost and to stay within the female range of testosterone. 
So if you're having symptoms that are indicative of low testosterone, or maybe you're on estrogen and progesterone, but you're still not seeing a relief in some of your perimenopause or menopause symptoms, don't forget about your testosterone. Work with your doctor to get your testosterone tested and explore options like a testosterone gel or a cream if it seems like your symptoms fit a low testosterone profile. Okay, Brittany, so let's clarify what exactly hormones are. What are hormones? Essentially, hormones are chemical messengers of the body. What do you mean by messenger? So imagine that when your hormones are working really well, it's like the post office. You get your letters, you get your mail, you get your packages, everything's coming on time, nothing's damaged. You know, theoretical perfect postal work. FedEx. That's how it works. <laughs> Our UPS, a good solid delivery system. But when they're not working so hot, it's like instead of having your package delivered by a nice mail truck and mail person, it gets delivered or attempted to be delivered by a carrier pigeon. <laughs> So they tie the package to the poor little baby pigeon's leg. There's not enough flight. You have to tie it to like 12 other <laughs> it pigeons. It needs a balloon to actually help it get lift. An endometrioma blood filter? Yeah, probably. <laughs> With an added helium, you know, to make it float. And this poor little pigeon is oh trying God, to fly. Oh my God, that'd be so great. Wait, can you imagine a way to reuse endometriomas? You see? It wouldn't be medical waste anymore. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> a rotting endometrioma attached to a pigeon. What a vision. <laughs> Actually, probably really bad. It would be swarmed by other birds in the sky who were yeah, like, is this, is this food? <laughs> be a good way to feed. Okay, so not, not medical waste. Okay, okay. So when you're, okay, so when your hormones are not working well, it's like you have a package tied to the leg of 12 pigeons, but still it can't <laughs> get in the air. They're all flying in different directions. So it has a helium-filled endometrioma, and then because of the blood in the endometrioma, vultures are yes, and descend. hawks descend mm-hmm. and get the endometrium out of the sky and then the pigeons can't fly anymore and then your package ends up in the middle of the Antarctic Ocean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I get it. Yeah, that's how it works. So okay. carrier system, one works well, one should stay in the past. <laughs> Leave the carrier pigeons in the past. We actually have a lot more hormones than people realize. So I didn't realize that our hormones included the non-steroid hormones and the steroid hormones. Some of the non-steroid hormones include your thyroid hormones, your insulin, which helps with your blood sugar regulation, leptin, which regulates appetite, oxytocin, which is commonly known as the love hormone, CCK, which is a hormone that tells your body when you're full, ghrelin, which tells you that you're hungry. So all of those are actually hormones that are sending messages throughout our body to help our body work and the cells to get their processes done. So does that mean there are steroid hormones? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about them now. They include hormones like pregnenolone, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, DHEA, and cortisol. That list is in every single hormone in your body, but just some examples of your steroid and non-steroid hormones. We'll start with pregnenolone because pregnenolone is the building block of the steroid hormones. Our hormonal foundation. <laughs> They're like little bricks that, gonna make, build our hormone that house. makes the rest of them. So in addition to being the building blocks, pregnenolone helps with memory, mood, energy, and it supports sleep. 
among other things. That sounds great. <laughs> it sounds Can I just am- have pregnenolone and nothing else? <laughs> you can't. I mean, people supplement with pregnenolone. So like we said, it helps memory. It helps mood. Oh, God. Hold on. Memory. Oh, mood. <laughs> Energy. Oh, what's sleep. that like? Oh, oh God. Oh, sounds beautiful. Beautiful oh. pregnenolone. <laughs> so, of course, people do supplement with pregnenolone, but like all things, it can have helpful effects, but it can also have side effects like anything that we take. The next steroid hormone is DHEA. Now, DHEA is primarily made in your adrenal gland, which sits like a little hat on top of your kidney. (laughs) So cute. DHEA has several functions. It also converts into estrogen and testosterone. Some of the other functions it has is helping with memory, Uh, energy. Oh, my God. They all help with energy. Why? (laughs) Maintaining cardiovascular health, musculoskeletal support. Yeah, helpful, but not as... Wait for this one. Promotion of mental health. Oh, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> and immune system regulation. Need that. But really, I was sold on mood and energy. Yeah, I was sold on mental health. <laughs> Another steroid hormone that we have in the body that I don't really have in the body but should is <laughs> progesterone. <laughs> so progesterone can have a very calming effect on the body. If you've ever wondered why you can't sleep before your period... Or maybe you're crying a lot. Oh, yes and yes. (laughs) Check and check. (laughs) I have that and I have that, unfortunately. Many times that may mean that you need more progesterone. So I'm like so in love with progesterone because since I started taking it, like I said, my hot flashes went away. My insomnia has really gone down. I still have it because of the histamine, but it's really helped with the hormone-related insomnia. It's really helped me be less crying all the time and just Britney's like hi Amy I'm like oh you said hi to me why'd you do that it's so sweet it's regulated her mood a little bit more our friendship is so beautiful thank you Britney so much I love you too she's like okay I just said hi (laughs) I say hi like 30 times a day (laughs) but this time was just special (laughs) but you said it so (laughs) to me Thank you for paying attention to me. No We're joking like it didn't happen, but like it's happened. <laughs> no, no. These everything, all our jokes are based on reality. Yes, okay. honestly. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I like to imagine progesterone in the body and oh, they've got their sunglasses on and their feet up and they're reading a magazine on the beach. Wow, they sound chill. Oh my God, they're so chill. And they're like, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'll take a, I don't know what people drink. Mai Tai. <laughs> Cocktail. <laughs> a mocktail. Mojito. Ooh. I could see them drinking that. So, oh, yes. And they put their sunglasses down a little like, hello there. Like, oh, oh my they're God. They're so cool. You're so amazing. <laughs> so progesterone plays a role in your brain health. And so it can help your brain health. It can calm your brain chemicals. And I just want to say again, I'm so in love with progesterone. So you're taking progesterone orally. But if Righty were doing work and her job, where would progesterone be made in our bodies? Well, Brittany, I think you answered your question within the question. I did? Yeah, because you said if Righty was doing Righty's job, then yes. If Righty was doing her job, then my progesterone would be made by the ovary. Oh. Yeah. So progesterone is dependent on... Whether or not the ovaries get the grocery delivery? Um, No. 
Then what are they dependent on? Ovulation. Oh, I was really <laughs> but you were, off the mark you were, here. <laughs> you were so close, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> Progesterone is made when a person ovulates. And if a person has poor ovulation or has no ovulation, then progesterone is usually quite low. So the ovulation is the groceries here. Okay. If they don't get the groceries. <laughs> yes. If the ovaries go pick up the eggs. So when ovulation ends, like after menopause, what happens with the progesterone? The progesterone retires. Aw, it has a nice retirement. <laughs> On the beach with Righty. Righty's I hope it gets like, a ceremony and everything. Righty's like, finally, I'm free. I'm like, you never worked a day in your life, Righty. <laughs> you were lazy the whole time. Retirement. It's the same thing you've been doing. <laughs> Progesterone naturally declines throughout perimenopause until we get to menopause when the ovaries no longer produce progesterone. This decline in progesterone in combination with estrogen, which actually may be higher than in our youth, and we're going to talk about that more in part four, but this change in hormones, so the decline in progesterone and the potentially super high estrogen is often what contributes to many of our perimenopausal symptoms. So as we said, progesterone is made when you ovulate. After ovulation, the ovaries make a temporary structure called the corpus luteum, which, among other things, secretes progesterone. If we have an anovulatory cycle, which is just a fancy way of saying a cycle in which we don't ovulate, then we make too little to no progesterone that month. No, that's my problem now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever seen a graph of our hormones, you will see that progesterone starts to go up after ovulation, typically peaks about midway between ovulation and your period. So in a 28-day cycle, if you ovulate on day 14, Progesterone would peak on day 21. The second half of our cycle is called the luteal phase. Ooh, wait, hold on. The gears are turning. <laughs> I'm going to assume that it is called the luteal phase because progesterone is made by the corpus luteum. The luteal phase, the corpus You're luteum. Brilliant. Progesterone, progesterone. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's right, but I feel like a genius right now. You are a genius. You're always a genius to me. Well, ovulating is really important for our menstrual health. So even if we're not interested in becoming pregnant, ovulation leads to progesterone creation. And we want that chill, sunglass-wearing, mojito-drinking hormone in our body because it helps with so many bodily functions. Yeah. Chills us oh, out. Oh, we want it. We want progesterone. <laughs> Give me progesterone. I have never wanted anything so bad in my life as progesterone. I just want to ovulate, kid, so I have it. When I was a kid and it was Christmas time and Tickle Me Elmo was selling out <laughs> and it was a huge craze. And I was, I don't remember how old, but I was like, mommy, get me Tickle Me Elmo. And I really, really wanted Tickle Me Elmo. I want progesterone more <laughs> than that time when I tickle was. Tickle me progesterone. <laughs> Seriously. That's the new version. Tickle me progesterone. That's the new tickle version. me because I'm tickled without you. Okay. Well, it makes a lot of sense why you're so in love with your oral progesterone, because it really does make us feel good. Like, it really can make so a huge good. difference. Yeah. Soon for me, I will be on progesterone soon, and then we'll report back. <laughs> but ovulation actually isn't easy for our bodies to do, so we can have an anovulatory cycle for a variety of reasons. Oh, God. <laughs> Lucky me. Like perimenopause. Hands up. We could have PCOS. Brittany's hand is hands up. up. High stress. Brittany's hand is up. Again under eating, oh, my hands up. exercising too much, 
postpartum or breastfeeding, or we have recently stopped birth control. Oh, well, at least we don't have the last three. (laughs) (laughs) But we have more than we should. (laughs) All right, Brittany. So if ovulation is so important to make progesterone, then how do we know that we're doing it? How do I know that my ovaries are doing the right thing? Do it, ovaries. I start shaming my ovaries. I'm like, make the egg. Just do your job. Release that the, egg. Make the corpus luteum. <laughs> Release that darn egg. Come on. I think that then that falls under the high stress. That's probably not helping the yeah, ovary. <laughs> the ovary is going, you want this egg? No, 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 no. Unsafe environment. No, 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 no. And then it keeps it and we're in trouble. <laughs> so one of the quickest and easiest ways to know is to measure your temperature. So your temperature will actually go down before you ovulate and then up afterwards. So you can take your basal body temperature every morning in bed as soon as you wake up. The temperature increase may be a full degree or just a few tenths of a degree. And they do make special thermometers just for measuring your basal body temperature. They're a little more sensitive. So another way to know if we've ovulated is by looking at our fertile cervical mucus. We should all get a little more familiar with our discharge. (laughs) It'll serve us well. Yeah, that's just fancy words for discharge. I don't know actually which terminology is worse sounding. I know discharge is a very natural thing, but when I hear (laughs) the the word... word is not nice. The word discharge makes me think of like... Not really my vagina, but more like a pussing wound. Yeah, I like cervical mucus. I mean, mucus is not great, but it's a technical <laughs> term, you know, like mucus is like a bodily thing. Okay, I'm just cervical gonna, fluid. I, I'm just gonna <laughs> go with the white stuff in my underwear. <laughs> the goop. I like that. So your vaginal goop. So when you're ovulating, your vaginal goop, also known as discharge or fertile cervical mucus, choose your own vocabulary. It will resemble raw egg whites, and it will be very slippery. And there are a lot of pictures and videos online if you want to become more familiar with this, if you're not sure, and we really recommend that you check them out. If you want me to post a picture of my vaginal goop, just write us and let me yeah, know. Yeah, we need a, we need a, like <laughs> prepayment for that or something, <laughs> and a NDA and non-disclosure agreements that you won't share it outside of other people. We share our goop intimately, okay? <laughs> it is for People who contact us directly only. <laughs> I actually sell my vaginal goop on eBay. No, I don't think you I could mean, sell bodily fluids. <laughs> I think but... that's like a hazardous material. <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't put it past people trying to yeah. make a buck. Yeah. It is really normal to have vaginal discharge or vaginal cervical mucus. And the way that it looks will change throughout the month. So that is perfectly normal. So normal discharge is typically clear or white and odorless or maybe it has a subtle smell but it does not smell foul so if you have like a very foul smelling discharge or a discharge that is yellow green gray you know any color that would look like there's some kind of infection or something going on then you should see a doctor about that but if you just have regular discharge maybe slightly subtle smelling and it's clear or white, and like we said, it becomes very slippery at the time of ovulation, then that is perfectly normal. And Amy and I wanted to really go a little bit more in depth about discharge in this moment because it's something that I think many of us who have vaginas and experience discharge, which all of us do if we have a vagina, 
We aren't really told about discharge growing up for most of us. It's not really covered in our health classes or sexual education. It's something that we have, and because many of us are conditioned to feel shameful about our body parts, we think that it's gross, or we're not supposed to have it, or we may even gaslight other people into saying, well, having discharge means there's something wrong with you. And there's nothing wrong with having discharge. It's completely natural and normal. It's what our vagina does. That is something that happens within our cervix and our uterus and our vagina. This is completely natural. And discharge isn't gross. It's not yucky. It's not weird. There's nothing to be ashamed about because it's what is supposed to be happening. I have a couple of stories about vaginal discharge. As you could imagine, I would have a story about this. Love it. First, when I was young, underwear was really uncomfortable to me. I just could not find comfortable underwear. Now, I have found comfortable underwear. I like lacy boy shorts. They're very comfortable. But when I was younger, I just like everything was so uncomfortable down there. And I tried so many pairs of underwear and it was very uncomfortable. So I went with no underwear. I went commando. And I always wore skirts. And also part of the reason why is because I had major problems with interstitial cystitis. And I really wanted to be able to squat and pee like a dog wherever I could, like on the sidewalk and stuff. So it just worked out for me that I wore skirts and did not wear underwear all through college. I never had vaginal discharge. No one had ever talked to me about vaginal discharge. I didn't know about vaginal discharge. I didn't have any vaginal discharge ever. But then one day, I remember this so clearly. I was about 20 years old. I was in class. I was sitting on my chair with my skirt and my lack of underwear. And all of a sudden, some discharge for the first time ever, I felt it like roll out of my vagina. Like I just felt like wet, like come out of my vagina. And I was like, what is this? Oh my God. The class ended and the bell rang and we all stood up. And when I stood up, there was white, not clear, but like a spoonful of like white discharge on the chair. And I was like, oh my God, I thought something was wrong with me. I was totally panicked, but I was also super embarrassed. And I like sat right back down. I just like sat my skirt on it. I was like, oh my God. And then I just sat and waited. And the teacher's like, you can go. The bell rang. I was like, I'm just getting something from my notebook. And then I waited till everyone left. And then I like wiped it with my hand. And then and then after that day, I started wearing underwear. Yeah, I would say that I noticed when I was younger, I didn't really have as much discharge as I did when I got older. So that's interesting because I think discharge, we have maybe little bits, but we don't notice. And then when I got older, I was like, oh, I have discharge. So I I don't know if that's anecdotal or if that's how it works. But I think different people have varying degrees of discharge amounts throughout their life. But it's really interesting the first time that it happened. For me, the first time I had a noticeable release of discharge, I thought I was getting my period. Because it felt like the same sensation of like period blood coming out. And I was like, oh, my God, I got my period. And then I remember taking down my underwear and being like, there's no blood. (laughs) It was very confusing because I hadn't really been told about what discharge was. And then I had to find information about it. And at the time, there wasn't really access to the Internet in the same way there is now. But it's important to know that it's just as normal as getting your period. I have another story to go with that because we really just want to normalize discharge here because I think it is not talked about enough and it has been so shamed, like Brittany said. So, you know, there's like this trope in movies, in a lot of movies where, you know, the man is like really obsessed with the woman and 
somehow he's at her house or like she sleeps over and then he goes and he finds her dirty underwear, maybe takes it out of her hamper or, you know, she left it on the floor after they had sex. And he goes and he picks up the underwear and he like puts it on his face and he sniffs and he's like, oh, that scent, that womanly scent. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I'm so so uncomfortable to watch. It's it's awful. So every time that happens, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen that. It's like a trope, maybe five or ten times. It's like a thing, like sniffing the panties. Yeah, like in like rom-coms. Yeah, and like 90s and 2000s movies. Not so much anymore. No, I haven't seen in a long time. But I remember... Like, I was with my boyfriend a lot. This was, like, maybe 10 years ago. And we watched that happen. And I just turned and I was like, do not ever pick up my dirty underwear. (laughs) Because dirty underwear is dirty. Yeah. Like, I never understand the movies. Like, pick it up. And it looks like it's looks First like First of all, freshly, there's no discharge on it whatsoever. Well, that's the thing. It looks like freshly laundered, even though it's like just come off her it's vagina. It's crumpled, but that's it. it. Yeah, it's come off her vagina after like 20 hours of wear, and there's like not a single discharge or anything. And I'm like, that's... It always got me, especially with Sometimes like... Sometimes underwear looks like that, but depending on where you are in the month, like if you're close to ovulation, like you can take off your like underwear that. and you can see like, you know, streaks of discharge like in there. like peeling it off of you. Yeah, and I'm like... <laughs> Well, especially it always gets me like inaccurate. I hate what the movies show as Mm -hmm. like, quote unquote, sexual relations or behavior between sex. Like, I just I just hate it. I do. Well, it's especially what gets me is the post sex one or like the one surrounding a sex scene is that if the partner who usually in this trope is a male does their job correctly. There should definitely be sexual fluid on the underwear because a woman usually self-lubricates. So the fact that they're not even damp always got me to be like, what the hell is this trope? I don't understand what the point of it is. Never mind the extra mile of when they rub it on their face. I just, <laughs> so okay. uncomfortable. So now I want to keep, anyone who hasn't clicked off already, thank you. Thank you for staying with us through our. It's like, leave her discharge alone. Underwear discussion. I want to take it even further. And I understand by saying this, I might lose like half the listeners in this moment. But my cat loves to roll in my dirty underwear. Cats love dirty underwear this makes a lot of sense actually they love i just found like i didn't give it to my cat on purpose like one day i just like you know took off my clothes and went in the shower mm-hmm. and my cats love to follow me in the shower they love to watch what you're doing and they watch the you know cats are curious so they like follow me in and then i just see my kitty the boy sit on my underwear he started rubbing i mean really rubbing and rolling around doing somersaults <laughs> on my underwear the other cat came he growled at her he was like this is my underwear oh my god back up back up and I was like I was still in the shower so I could, I was like well I'll just I'm just gonna see how this plays out <laughs> and now I'm gonna have to tell you I don't know if this is terrible or not but I love to when I take off my underwear I always throw it on the floor and I let my cat roll in it before I put it in the hamper well because he loves it and yeah you know, I get why like, cats need to be on I just to defend my weird cat mom behavior <laughs> cats also like need entertainment mm-hmm. so they keeps bored. them busy they're bored all day they're like we've been waiting for mommy's underwear for hours <laughs> They know they have a 9 p.m. at night. Mommy takes off her underwear and I roll in it. So, well, I get why because that's where the concentration of our pheromones are. Like, that's a high producer of our distinctive smell. So, I get why this trope happened in movies because our pheromones were thought to be aphrodisiacs. So, they thought that if you smelled the smell of the partner you were interested in, that it would be arousing, which I do get because it is true. And I do understand that 
your partner's smell can be intoxicating or arousing for you. That's totally fair. And that's why it makes sense for cats, because it is actually a hormone. There is a body chemical on your underwear and that your cat is attracted to it, not in a sexual way. Right. I was but in say, a bonding way. I don't think way. my cat is aroused. No, He's no, just no. like... <laughs> But it's a bonding. Yeah, it's the it's, most concentrated smell of mommy. It's like, oh, mommy smell. Yeah, I and that's why they mommy. want it all over them because it's the most concentrated smell of mommy. So it's not really oh, gross. It's, it's how just, my kitty shows me he loves yes, me. Yes, it's to have the most, like, that's why, like, dogs sniff humans' crotch areas because it's a super <laughs> concentrated smell of the person. It has The only reason that we see it as gross or dirty is because we've made those parts gross and dirty. But to an animal, that's like, oh, concentrated smell of this human. That's, that's what true. I'm going to smell. That's why dogs sniff each other's butts Yes, and because stuff. it's a concentrated yeah. smell of their body. So, and we made everything into perverted sex. Yeah, we've ruined it. <laughs> so let's not ruin it. I just it. like had this image of me taking off my underwear and then throwing them directly in the hamper and my cat just like lunging at me while growling, <laughs> being like, give me the undies, mommy. It's mine, mommy. I also was thinking, I wonder if cats could be like, natural ovulation detectors and That'd be cool <laughs> maybe on the days when you take off your underwear like right after your period you're nowhere near ovulation he does like one somersault and he's like i'm done with these but <laughs> when like you're groundhog day but yeah. for a cat with ovulation <laughs> <laughs> but when you're ovulating your cat spends like a solid seven minutes like rolling all over your underwear that would actually be really helpful and then i wouldn't have to mm-hmm. take my temperature every morning i could just throw my undies at my cat and be like <laughs> so let useful. me know if i'm ovulating Well, the bottom line, too, is about discharge is if you are a person who likes the smell of their discharge or your partner likes the smell of your discharge or you do like to rub your partner's panties in your face, there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) The point is we're not shaming that. The point is, is making it a trope as if there's no discharge there. In these movies, there was never discharge. That's that's the thing. That's what we're saying is that in these movies, they acted like discharge didn't exist. And then in social media and in public eye and in personal life, If a person talked about their partner who had a vagina having discharge on their underwear, it was always talked about with disgust. Ew, look at these dirty panties, as if there was something wrong with the discharge. So that's what we're saying is not that you can't be attracted to underwear or or like the smell of your partner. We need to not act like discharge isn't real in sexual situations, but then shame it when it's outside of a sexual situation. So leave discharge alone. It's natural. It's real. Everybody has some. Leave the discharge alone, okay? Unless you're my cat, then go after then the go discharge. For it. <laughs> yeah. Leave the discharge alone unless you want to interact with the discharge, and that's fine. But otherwise, leave it alone. Discharge is like catnip for cats. <laughs> <laughs> Those pheromones will get you every time. <laughs> okay, so anyone who still hasn't clicked off and is still with us, Brittany, go ahead and tell us. Another way that we may be able to track our ovulation. Okay, back on track. (laughs) So another way that you could track ovulation, and this is something that many people do report, so it's more anecdotal, but your libido may spike up. Because you're releasing an egg, and that's the time at which we could become pregnant, your body increases your libido so that you're more prepared and ready to have sexual intercourse in the hopes that the sperm implants into the egg. So You could see a drastic increase in your libido during ovulation. That doesn't happen for everyone, but it could be a way for you to tell that it's impending. I definitely see one. On day seven, I'm like, don't touch me. Day 11, like, don't touch me. (laughs) Day 14, because I do tend to ovulate right at, I have the, had the 28-week cycle. Now I have a 21-day cycle. What's that about? (laughs) Progesterone, we need you back. But yeah, I definitely see an increase. I'm like, oh, okay. 
potentially I could be open to this. And then by day 20 again, I'm like, don't touch me. Yeah, mine spikes, but it's the danger zone because I do not want to become pregnant. So I'm like, my libido has spiked, but do not touch me. So I'm the opposite. <laughs> it's sad how it's ironic how it works yeah, that way, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Another way that we may be able to know that we're ovulating is that our cervix moves up in our bodies. So I've certainly seen this with myself. So I use the diaphragm as a form of birth control, and I've become very intimately familiar with the placing of my cervix. When I'm on my period, my cervix is very low, so incredibly low, in fact, that it's very hard for me to get a menstrual cup in properly. But when I ovulate, my cervix raises up. And so this can be another way to get to know your body is just, you know, gently inserting a finger into your vaginal cavity and seeing where your cervix sits. And of course, you may not want to do that depending on, you know, if you have endometriosis pain or vaginismus or vaginal pain or if you're on your period or any other number of situations, but it can also, being gentle with a little bit of lubricant, it can be a way to just understand your body a little bit more. I know for me, like when I first was putting in the diaphragm, it was really hard for me to figure out where to put it and the placing. Now I'm just like shove it in. I'm a pro at it. But it was really interesting to see as I had intercourse during different times of the month that my cervix really did change. And although I don't track my body temperature, I am able to know when I'm ovulating due to the position of my cervix as well as my vaginal discharge. And that's been really helpful. It's just nice to get to know our cycles better and get to know our bodies. A last thing that I also want to mention is they actually do make ovulation testing strips. So much like a pregnancy test, they make ovulation tests. So these little strips, you're supposed to urinate on them and it tests if you're going to be ovulating likely in the next, I think it's 24 to 48 hours. So they're not a, you're ovulating now test, like a yes or no, like a pregnancy test. But they can be effective for pinpointing when exactly you're ovulating if you're trying to figure out at which point of your cycle the day you are ovulating are. So they're out there. They come in boxes of many little strips. And I've used them before to try to pinpoint exactly when my ovulation happens. Okay, so we've gone down a rabbit hole of ovulation and vaginal goop. <laughs> and, Goopy. And why? The reason why is just because ovulation is a sign of a healthy menstrual cycle. And as we said, with ovulation, we produce progesterone. Progesterone is very important in the body. And ovulation is hard for the body to do. So ovulation can give an indication of how our body is doing overall. I mean, we don't have to check every month. Did we ovulate? Did we ovulate? But if we're having hormone problems or we're just not feeling well, checking in on our cycle. Are we having a menstrual cycle? How long is it? Are we ovulating? These can all give us clues to how our health is doing overall. So recently I read that ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, ACOG actually recognizes menstruation as a vital sign in young menstruators. So what do I mean by a vital sign? I went to their website, and I'll just read a few sentences on their statement about it. So they say, quote, Identification of abnormal menstrual patterns in adolescence 
may improve early identification of potential health concerns for adulthood. It's important for clinicians to have an understanding of the menstrual patterns of adolescents. The ability to differentiate between normal and abnormal menstruation and the skill to know how to evaluate the adolescent menstruator. By including an evaluation of the menstrual cycle as an additional vital sign, clinicians reinforce its importance in assessing overall health status for patients and caretakers. End quote. So I think that's really interesting that ACOG says that our menstruation is a vital sign. It's a sign to show how our body is doing overall because, like we said, it's hard to ovulate if the body is under stress, if the body is under eating, if the body has PCOS or other conditions, if the body's overexercising. If the body doesn't feel safe, then it's very hard for ovulation to happen. And if ovulation doesn't happen, then it's this domino effect of we're not getting enough progesterone. You know, too little or no progesterone is being made with lack of ovulation which can then causes hormone symptoms. So another steroid hormone is estrogen, which we did an entire episode on. So yes, we did. We're not going to go in-depth into estrogen today, but it is still a steroid hormone, so we still want to list it in our list of these hormones. Well, that's sad. Maybe people really want to hear about estrogen. And then they estrogen can go listen to, to the be, other episode. Estrogen wants to be talked about. Estrogen is a real attention hog. <laughs> it gets the spotlight enough of the time. It doesn't need a spotlight in this episode. We're just mentioning it by name. It should be satisfied. Estrogen, you exist. You're a steroid hormone. We're moving on. Testosterone is another steroid hormone. It helps with our mood. It helps with our bone health, our brain fog, our energy levels. And I know a lot of people, after they get tested and they see that they have low testosterone and they begin taking testosterone as part of their hormone replacement therapy, they love testosterone in the same way that I love progesterone because it really helps a lot of people clear up their brain fog and it gives them energy. And everyone loves energy and the feeling of mental clarity. You go to someone, you're like, do you like having energy? Nah. I feel like, no, they're never going to say no. Do you like having mental clarity? Oh, no, that's so overrated. No. (laughs) I just wish I had that. It isn't. It's so underrated. (laughs) So testosterone is a part of a category of hormones called androgens. And androgens include DHEA, which we just talked about. DHEAS, androstenedione, and androstenediol. And if I didn't pronounce them well, then I'm sorry. <laughs> We're just dipping our toes in the water, okay? <laughs> We're just learning. When you read a book, it doesn't have a pronunciation button in it. <laughs> it really should. <laughs> so in my own case, I'll be honest, even though there are these androgens in our body, I had only really heard of testosterone until I began researching into the hormones in our bodies. That kind of reminds me when people like a band and we only ever know the lead singer. (laughs) It's like the androgens is the band, the androgens, and we only ever know testosterone, the lead singer. We need to learn about the other band members. Who's the guitarist? Who's the drummer? Who's the bassist? Who's on the electric violin? I don't know. Just threw that in there. Xylophone? DHA is on the xylophone. DHAS is on the electric guitar. Mm Mm-hmm. Androstenedione is on the drums, and androstenedial is on the bass. And testosterone is the lead singer. Oh, this sounds like a really funky band, the Androgens. I'd listen to their album, probably. (laughs) So we learned about where progesterone was made, but where are the androgens made? Where's testosterone made? 
So these different androgens are made in different amounts in the ovaries, the adrenal gland, and the fat tissues. While these androgens have different roles in the body, one of their primary roles is to be converted to estrogen. Of course it is. That attention hog. (laughs) Everything wants to become estrogen. Why? It's the coolest cool kid. I don't know. (laughs) The last steroid hormone we want to talk about is cortisol. Cortisol. Cortisol is the bane of my existence. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I thought I was the bane of your existence. I feel better now. You are cortisol. (laughs) You are my living cortisol. Shoot. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited to talk about it. Okay, that's a lie. But but we are going to talk about it in the next episode. Wait, why, Brittany? Why not now? This is because, as many of us know, and I know too well, cortisol is known as our stress hormone. Brittany loves being stressed. Oh, it's my favorite state of being. <laughs> anxious, stressed, anxious, stressed. Those are my ons and offs. There is no other. <laughs> so when we get stressed, it affects our body, as, no. as we know, <laughs> our cortisol levels and our hormones in general. No. Sadly. (laughs) So next week, we're going to address the role cortisol plays in this and also talk about all the other ways that stress screws with our hormones. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty long conversation. It's going to be a pretty (laughs) hard, stressful conversation, you might say. Oh, God. (laughs) Everyone drink a glass of tea and get comfy while we talk about it. Everyone take a breather first, do some meditation. (laughs) We're going to need to de-stress ourselves before we stress about our hormones. Yeah, so next week is going to be a pretty long conversation about how our lifestyle affects hormones and how, (laughs) you know, especially how our hormones are affected by stress. And we learned a lot of pretty surprising information. So we can't wait. (laughs) We're so stressed to share that information with you. (laughs) But we're going to talk a lot about our stress, our exercise habits, our gut health and supplements and how all of those things can help or harm our hormones. Thank you so much for listening today. Please write us and tell us where you are. Are you in a hormone jungle right now? Are you in a tundra? Are you in an ocean like Brittany? Are you in the wetlands? Are you in outer space? Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> what would it even be like to be in the hormones of outer space? Oh, gosh. I don't want to know. So if you've also ever attached your endometrium to a carrier pigeon, You can do that to send us a message. (laughs) Please let us know. (laughs) Or you can connect with us in like a totally normal, modern way via Instagram or our website. (laughs) Oh, I want the carrier pigeon. I know. I kind of want the endometrioma. But if that's like too far, you know. And as the endometrioma flies through the sky, like little drops of blood leak. Yeah, it leaves a trail like Hansel and Gretel. (laughs) Then the pigeon can find its way home. Exactly. See? It's multi-purpose. Get the little baby pigeon home. Oh, little cutie pie. Or Instagram's fine. (laughs) Well, if you need our Instagram handle, it is at in16yearsofendo. Our website is in16years.com. And that's also where you find all of the resources that we used in the making of this wonderful episode. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.